0: turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4, as we read from the scripture earlier. But I was reading this week that several uh, cruise lines, did you know this? They offer cruises to nowhere. In other words, if you want to plan a trip to nowhere, it really is just quite easy. You purchase a ticket, you pack your bags with no real destination, You do absolutely no research on your countries or cities you will visit because you won't actually be visiting any countries or cities. You plan no excursions. You board this cruise line either in Norfolk or in Fort Lauderdale, and you cruise to nowhere. You live on a boat for a few days, and then you return home uh, really having seen no real sights and going absolutely nowhere. And for relaxing and for unwinding, a cruise to nowhere does maybe have a certain appeal because there is no way to accomplish anything and there's no way to do anything at all. Now, many churches approach church-like like a cruise to nowhere. (laughs) There's just no vision and there's no plan for the journey. But not us, beloved, not us. We know our objective, our marching orders, if you will, the vision and the purpose has clearly been established in the Word of God. And we put it every week on the life of our Bulletin, in that bulletin, we say that Grace Church of the Valley exists to glorify God by exalting the Savior, equipping the saints for ministry, and extending the kingdom. Now, sometimes I put it in an abbreviated form. We could say, by exalting the Savior in worship, by equipping the saints for ministry and by by extending his kingdom through evangelism. That's our purpose. But what is that noble purpose of the church? I mean, I think it's just crystal clear uh, in the Word of God that throughout the Scripture, the fundamental purpose of the church is... How would you say that? I mean, we know why we're here. We're here, both corporately and individually, To glorify God. The fundamental purpose of the church is the glory of God. In fact, as it pertains to our salvation, look back in Ephesians 1. Three different times in redeeming us through the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Word of God says there in 1.6, to the praise of His glorious grace. In other words, He redeemed us That we would be a people of praise. It says in verse 12 of chapter 1, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Second time. Then look down at 114, speaking of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, that's full redemption, to this purpose, the praise of His glory. The church has been redeemed. You have been redeemed. You have been placed in a local church for this grand purpose that Christ and God might be glorified. In fact, look over in chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians when it says in 3.20, to now to him who is able, you know that verse, to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power that at work within us to him, 3.21 be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Beloved, simply put, our church exists for the glory of God. But you might be asking, maybe you're saying, what is the glory of God? Scott, I hear that. I hear that my life is to glorify God, but what is it what is the glory of God? The glory of God is nothing less than the nature of God revealed in his creation and in his action. In other words, the glory of God is his person, his nature revealed both in the creation itself and in action. So when we speak of God's will for the church, then it's his glory. We simply mean to say that God intends to display himself in and through the church. That's why he's put the church into existence. The church is God's plan. And he's going to reveal himself in the church and through his church, which I just read a great article this week on the need of college campuses for the local church. It was an excellent article. I mean, the church is God's agent, And beloved, very clearly, the church exists in the world for this purpose, to display the glory of God. And all of life is based upon the revealing of the glory of God, to make his glories known. I could say it another way. To make his attributes known, high school people are right here, that's what you're studying on the character of God. In other words, God revealed himself in his attributes, and our life then becomes making his character known. So let me say it this way in contrast, the church does not exist for man. The church does not exist for your needs. The church exists to be a bright light shining in the darkness, revealing the holy character of God. Again, that's why when Paul assembled both Jew and Gentile alike in Ephesians 1 through 3, he said at the end of that section in chapter 3, to him be the glory in the church. It's enough for me to say to you, beloved, this morning on Ministry Fair Sunday that is the DNA of our church. That is why we're here. We've been called into existence nine years ago, okay, to glorify God. If you're visiting today and you're wondering what is the blueprint of our church, it is that. Our church exists to reveal the holy character of God. Your life has been redeemed to reveal God. So when God is not glorified, and when God is blasphemed, it affects your heart. When you see Him blasphemed at an event, when you see Him blasphemed at wherever you might be, at the workplace or in school, it pains your heart. Because you've been revealed, you've been saved to reveal His glory, and we exist to glorify Him. We are not here, and you know this, to make a good impression. I am not here to see double attendance. We are here to see God glorified in all things. And what I want to do just briefly with you this morning is look at three stages, okay, uh, for spiritual growth that God may be glorified and the church unified. Three stages of spiritual growth from the Word of God that God may be glorified and the church may be unified. In fact, let me just ask you a question, two questions. What's your expectation of me? (laughs) What's your expectation, not just of me, what's your expectation of the pastors? What's your expectation of the elders? What is a pastor to do? What is a pastor to be? What is an elder to be? What is an elder to do? That's first question. The second question is to you. What's your part? What part do you play? What role do you have in the life of this church? So I called it three stages to spiritual growth because I want to take you to this text in Ephesians chapter four that lays out three stages for spiritual growth that God would be glorified in the church Would be unified. And I say stages because as I reveal these, one, two, and three. Each stage in the language is dependent upon the previous phase. Here's the simple stages. This is the life of our church. Equip the saints. Second stage. For the work of ministry. Third stage. To the building up of the body. Equip the saints. Secondly, for the work of ministry, to the building up of the body. And the last stage, hang on with me, is the most climactic stage of all. But let's dive into that just briefly this morning. Ephesians 4.11, look at it. It says there that he gave, in 11, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints. And I'm reading from... The ESV, to equip the saints or to to perfect the saints. Here's the first stage. You say the first stage of what? The first stage of God to be glorified. The, the, the stage here, if you will, of the church being unified. That is the thought here, okay? Now, he's given... These things that the church would have unity. When you look at all of the section in chapter 4, he's writing. In fact, look back in verse 3. To maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called, verse 4, to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. In other words, there's oneness. So I would say it this way if you make the connection. For God to be glorified, this church must be unified. In fact, it's interesting that he gets done in chapter 3 and says, to God be the glory in the church. And that in essence, as Paul writes under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, God will be glorified when this church is unified. So listen, as we go out to the ministry fair today, you need to make sure that we each are all walking in humility. You say, what do you mean walking in humility? Look at 4 2. He says, with all humility, that's how we ought to be. A, a lower estimation of ourselves and a greater one of other people. He says in 4 2, with all humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love. Listen, God's going to be glorified when our church is unified. So make sure, beloved, that you never let any Wedge, get inside your heart that separates you from another saint in the life of this church. But an effort for that church to be unified, look at verse seven. It says there, But that the grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then look at verse eight. It says, When he ascended on high, he led, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And he gave these gifts, and then you'll see those gifts listed here, apostles and prophets, verse 11, those are evangelists, or those are foundational, excuse me. And then he gave evangelists, and then we believe this last one for today, the shepherds and the teachers. In other words, it's built upon the apostles and the prophets. That's Ephesians 2.20. The evangelists carry the gospel, and they did in the New Testament. And in many ways, then we're left here with this, this office here of a shepherd and a teacher, okay? Now, you can see it there in verse 12, or excuse me, in verse 11, it says shepherds and teachers, and there's some question amongst the scholars if that's two offices or one, and we believe it's best to understand that phrase as a single office. In other words, when Christ ascended, he not only gave a gift to you, that's four seven but he gave gifted men to the church. Those are pastors and elders. In other words, he wants his church to be glorified. Here's the thought. He wants his church to be unified. He gives you the DNA of the bloodstream in there attitudinally of how we're to walk with each other. But what he also does is he gives gifts to the church in leadership and those leaders have a role. Look at it in verse 12. Here's my role, okay? Here's the elder's role. Here's our pastor's role. It is to, do you see that phrase there? To equip the saints. Now just stop there for a second, because really that's what this day is about. To equip the saints, or to perfect the saints. Now, words mean something in the scripture. That Greek word, you don't necessarily have to know it other than it's the word equip, but it's the Greek word kartatismos. That's the word for equipping. In other words, he gave leaders to the church that the purpose of these leaders is to equip the saints. It it means here, let me see if I can explain it. it. The word means to make complete. That's what the word means. It means literally, the word equip, is to restore to an original condition. Okay, I was with somebody this week in the life of our church. He blew out part of his knee playing volleyball at Summerfest. He had to go see a doctor, and the doctor had to repair his meniscus. He was putting his knee back into place to restore that knee to the original condition, okay? In fact, it's an interesting word. That's what it means, to restore to original condition. In fact, in biblical times, when the Bible was written and when Paul penned that word, it was actually used to set a dislocated joint or a broken bone. In other words, you have to equip that bone. You have to put that bone back in place. And in our day, we would understand the ideal of a cast that would take a bone that is fragmented and broken and equip that bone and put it back into its original condition. I think I've shared with you before that I had a friend play high school football. And I didn't play high school football because the team wasn't very good at that point. I played some other sports, but I remember he went down, first game of the year, and I was up in the sidelines, and he was down for five minutes, 10 10 minutes, 15, and they're not moving him. So I just got out of the stands and came down, and as I came down, I saw football players turning away from this guy. Like they were walking up to him and going like this, because somebody had taken taken his helmet and driven it right on his tibia and his fibia, so that when you looked at the bottom half of his leg, I'm not trying to be gross, the bottom half of his leg from the knee down to the ankle was like this, boop, boop, it just, it's not straight, there's something wrong with it, he broke his tibia and fibia. they carted him off, they took him to the ambulance, they took him off to the hospital and they had to set that bone, that's what that word equipping means. It means to restore back to the original condition, okay? Now, it gives you a little bit of an insight for someone who's a leader in our church, or I should say who's a pastor, who's an elder. You have been given the God-given task to help the body. And the body could be fragmented. The, the body could be broken, we might say, spiritually. And you are to take your God-given charge and to equip the saints, Let me see if I can build out this word just so you know what it means. It was used in Mark chapter 1 in verse 19 when the disciples, it just says there simply, they were mending their nets. That's the word. In other words, their nets are broken. Their nets aren't functioning. There's fish getting out of the nets and they're mending their nets. They're equipping, they're restoring the net back to the original condition. But spiritually, let me, let me show you a few verses that come up, and you'll see where that word is there. 1 Thessalonians 3.10. As we pray most earnestly, Paul praying, night and day that we may see you face to face, and here's the word, supply what is lacking in your faith. That idea to supply what is lacking is the Greek word kartatismos, is the word for equipping. Meaning, you know, you can put the dots together. A pastor wants to help people. He doesn't exist for himself. He wants to help people to supply for them what is lacking. In other words, there's a deficiency spiritually, not just in a physical broken bone. And you, the leadership's task is to come alongside the body of Christ and to supply what is lacking to build them up. You know this verse in Luke 6.40, a disciple is not above his teacher. You've heard that quoted. But everyone, when he is, underline that, fully trained, that is the word for equipping. In other words, when a disciple is equipped, when a disciple is fully trained, he will be like his teacher. So when you think of discipleship, you're doing some form of discipleship. You're training, but the word is to be fully trained. In other words, to come back to the original condition, to come back to usefulness, to take out the things that are unhealthy and to build health in that. Go on to the next slide. Galatians 6.1, I'm just showing you where this is called a word study. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should, what? Restore, there's our word. You're restoring someone. So watch this. This this is not the task of only the leadership. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught, it means that someone is walking, is the word, and they trip over a transgression. They're not necessarily looking to get into sin, but as they walk in this life, they trip, and you who are spiritual, you need to go to that person because they're, they're not acting properly, behaving properly. You who are spiritual should restore him. And here's the attitude and a spirit of gentleness. That's all in the word. Look at Colossians. I love this phrase, Epaphras, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. And now this phrase, that you may stand, what? Mature. And the word for stand mature is the word equipped. Now, listen, I know this is not all of your hearts, but this is the task of every young man going into the Ministry. This is the task of every elder. This is the task of every pastor. We want you to be mature. We're not trying to raise spiritual babies here. We're not trying to dumb things down here. We're praying at this point. And did you notice that on the one hand, the one at the beginning is restoring one through conversation. Epaphras, on the other hand, was struggling as he prayed, and he's praying that you would stand mature. I think there's a couple more. Second Corinthians thirteen nine. Your restoration is what we pray for. That's what leaders do. They restore people who are either unhealthy in their spiritual life, unhealthy in their in their um, in their training, and they bring health. In fact, it says the same thing in Second Corinthians thirteen eleven. Finally, brothers rejoice and then he says and there's our word again aim for restoration so the leaders have been given a god-given task to equip the saints now here's the question got to ask this question and answer it is is uh how are the saints equipped that's a big question they need to be equipped leadership should equip them how do they equip them look back in the text it's right there It's not in that phrase in verse 12 to equip the saints. It's in the one previous. That he gave some as apostles and prophets. That's foundational. Then he gave evangelists to spread the gospel. It's here in this definition. He gave men, and there it is in the word, as shepherds and teachers. Okay? It is the role of pastors and teachers. I could say it another way. It is the role of shepherds and teachers to teach the word of God to prepare you for the work of ministry. And you do that by teaching. And what you're teaching is what? The Word of God. There's a lot of things that a pastor can be. There's a lot of expectations that you have on pastors and elders. But his main priority is to teach the Word of God. And secondly here, as it says to shepherd the people of God. So that is the task, the God-given design of leadership to teach and shepherd, to feed and lead. You are leading them to the green pastures of the word of God. So he has a dual task there, and maybe it's just one office in the same. This pastor slash teacher is to teach the people the word of God. And I just say that to you. Because some people say of a man that he has a pastor's heart. And I suppose it's good to have a pastor's heart or a shepherd's heart. But that man, if he has no desire to equip people in the word of God, and if he doesn't do it as a function, then he's not giving and doing his God-given ministry. Look at Second Timothy. I think it comes up next. Here's what Paul tells Timothy here of the man of God. Hit the next slide there. It is all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. For reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, and here it is, equipped for every good work. So the man of God needs to be a man of God in the word of God so that he could be equipped in his own life to help other people. So biblically speaking, beloved, God's word then fuses people together into a unified group. It takes discarded, dislocated parts of the body and it brings them together. It joins saints together. It allows the saints to pray for one another, serve one another, minister to one another, restore one another, to confess one another. All of that comes out of his God-given task. And so I tell our staff this all the time that pastors and elders, we're not here for our own benefit, but we're here for the purpose of preparing you to serve other people, okay? That's my purpose as a pastor, is to equip you, to prepare you, to restore you so that you may do the work of service. And so there's the first stage, equip the saints. That's what a pastor is to be doing. He does that by feeding and by leading, by teaching and by shepherding. But there's a second stage. Look at it back in Ephesians 4. It says here, you do that for the work of, of ministry, okay? In other words, we are equipping you to do the work of service. In other words, the work of service is your God-given divine privilege in the family of God. That's you. So I have a responsibility to bring you to the word of God and to shepherd, okay? But you have a responsibility, You say, what's my responsibility? Look at it in 12, to equip the saints, and here it is, for the ministry. In other words, we're here so that you would do the work of service. You say, well, what does that mean? It means this, that you've been given a gift, a spiritual gift. If you're in Christ, look back at Ephesians 4, 7. He says, but the grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. He's not talking about the grace given at salvation. He's saying that each of you, when you came to Christ, were given a gift. You were given a God-given spiritual gift to do the work of service. In fact, glance down in chapter 4 and verse 16, where it says, from whom the whole body, that's you, joined and held together, watch this, by every joint with which it is equipped. That's every one of us. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So listen, each of you were given a gift. You know, I would just say this briefly to you. Whenever I look at the list of spiritual gifts, one of the things, and maybe we find in Scripture at least 18 gifts, some people see a few more. Every time those gifts are mentioned, the bodies listed, like and here 's what I mean, first corinthians twelve seven you can write it down we don 't have that one up here. Each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good, so listen i 'm telling you about your responsibility. I have one, but you have one. Yours is the work of service. You say, well, what is the work of service well you 've been given a spirit spiritual gift that 's what it says in ephesians four seven it says that in first corinthians twelve seven it says this in first peter four ten each Very peculiar word. Each has received a gift to serve one another. So, beloved, one of the, 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 I say the secrets of our church is not what the elders do and the pastors. The blessing of our church is what you're doing. You've been given a God-given task to do the work of service. Now, let me see if I can boil that down, okay? There's two main gifts, and I don't know if I'd say main gifts, but maybe the two main gifts, and then from those, we see many other gifts, but in Romans 12, 7, it says, if service, that's a gift, in our serving, and the one who teaches in his teaching. Broadly speaking, beloved, there's, there's serving gifts, and there's speaking gifts. Then you say, but Scott, a little closer, what, what are you getting at when it says there, this is inspired, right? the Word of God, to equip the saints for, and then it mentions this, what is the work of service? What is that? Well, I suppose we have in our minds something that we think is spiritual and things that aren't, but I hope you know that the work of service is very broad. In other words, God doesn't look on me any different than what I'm doing right here than the team that got here at 7.30 in the morning to set this place up and to put that together. That's a work of service. When you look in the Word of God, the work of service is a very broad category. You say, well, what could it include? Well, it can almost include anything you can think, almost. It includes counseling. It includes leadership. It includes showing mercy. It includes hospitality. That's all a work of service. It involves caring and sharing, whatever it is. I call the guy... Last night, I hope this isn't embarrassing. I, I hope it's okay to mention this. It's not my notes, and I can always get in trouble when it's not my notes. I called Glenn Swanson. Some of you know Glenn. Glenn's older. Glenn's just had a rough time. It was close, I don't know. He's probably well into his 70s. His water went off on the home that he's, that he's living at. And uh, then he got shingles. Th- then he got an eye that's just still sore. I said, Glenn, I'm so sorry. But but I just want you to know that if somebody went and ministered to Glenn, that's no different than me preaching. Fair? Glenn has a need. What I'm trying to say is that when, when, when the Scripture talks about the work of service, certainly I'm doing my service in teaching, but you do your service, and it might just be the gift of helps. It might be sharing. It might be bringing a meal to someone. It might be joining our evangelism team and going door-to-door. Door. I mean, you name it. It's very broad. 1 Corinthians 12.5 talks about there are varieties, quote, of service. In other words, it's multidimensional. It could be waiting on a table. It could be providing food. It could be serving as a deacon, a deaconess. It could be meeting the physical needs of someone who's hungry, lonely, sick, and in prison. That's all the work of service. And, and here's what I want to tell you. And I, and I don't mean this sharp, okay? But all I know is I'm going to stand before the Bema seat judgment not the great white throne judgment, you will stand before the Bema seat judgment. I will stand before the Lord and give an account of the gifts that he's given me. You will stand before the Lord and give an account of the gifts that he's given to you. And and in fact, let me just show you this in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, look over there 3, and I'm not trying to put guilt on any of you, okay? But I just, I want to be honest with you I think the words are interesting as we talk about work of service. Greek word ergon. It just describes, as I said, any type of work of service. But did you notice this in 1 Corinthians 3.13? Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. What does that mean? That's, That's talking about you. No. It's talking about me, but it's talking about you. You're going to stand before the Lord and each one's work will become manifest because it will be revealed at the last day. You'll stand before the Lord by fire. He's going to test it. The fire will test, 3.13, what sort of work each one has done. If the work anyone has built on, the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire this is not the judgment seat of christ the what this is the bema seat but you'll stand before the lord you say stand before the lord in what way he gave you a spiritual gift (laughs) to help this body you cannot just look at me okay you got you got to say hey i've been gifted i well scott this is what i have to offer then offer it okay and uh i'm just saying you know that you guys know the parable With one guy, he gave five talents. Another, he gave two talents. Another, he gave one talent. Then the Lord came back. The steward came back. And the man with five talents doubled his talents. And he he said, I I have 10. And the guy, Jesus said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my glory. Then he comes to the one with two talents. And he said, oh, I can see that you've doubled your talents. You've made four talents. And you've went out and used your talents. And well done, my good and faithful service. Enter into the joy of the master. And then remember what the one guy did? He went out and what? He buried his talent. And Jesus said, you wicked slave. Listen, all I know is I'm telling you as a lead pastor, we need your involvement. We we just, our, our body won't be what the body is to be without this. So here's the point. God and Jesus, when he ascends on high, Psalm 68, he gives gifted men to the church Those men as pastors and elders equip the saints. And then when you become equipped, you do the work of service. So as they teach the word of God, the saints are equipped. As the saints do the work of service, it leads to the third and final stage. And then I'm all done. Okay. So what's the final stage? Well, go back to the book of Ephesians, and I think this is the, the most climactic stage of all, because of the language would say that, that it says in verse 12 to equip the saints for the work of ministry to the building up of the what? The body of Christ. Listen, our listen, God is going to be glorified when the church is unified. And when the church is unified and the saints do their work of service, the body of Christ is built up. You say, well, Scott, what are you talking about? Well, I'm just saying this. If you don't do the work of service, our body doesn't grow. And if our body doesn't grow, then God's not honored in this place, and we want him to be. And and let me just just say this to you. It's not just you. What if I didn't do my job? (laughs) I, I can come back to that. What if I just walked around all week and help people? And he yes, that's a good thing. But no, I've been given a task. I'm a man under orders, and my orders are to follow the Scripture to equip you, and I do that through the Word of God. Then as I pass that baton into your hand, you do the work of service, and as you do the work of service, the body is built up. It's interesting. He changes his metaphors here. Did you catch that? He went from... Christ and our church being an expression of his body, but he changes it now to a building that is built up. In fact, the word for building up refers to the construction of a building, and the thought would be as the saints do the work of service, the body is built into a glorious representation of Christ. And so here they are three stages for spiritual gro- growth that the church may glorify God and be unified. You say, Is there a goal? What's the end game? Well, of course there's an end game. There's a lot of people telling today what the church needs to be and do, and sometimes it's apart from the Scripture, but of course there's a final goal. And the final goal is what comes next, and we don't have time to unpack it, but would you look at it? It says in 4.13, until, in other words, you keep doing this, until we attain to the unity of the faith, and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Christ is the goal, beloved. Now listen, I get that He's sovereign, but all I know is I've got to do what I'm called to do. All I know is you've got to do what you're called to do. As you do what you're supposed to do, as I do what God called me to do, the body of Christ will be built up and the goal is to look like Jesus Christ to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God. You know, it's interesting that it says there, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. We have that. We're a young church, but we're not arguing with each other. We know what we believe, and I don't say that arrogantly in any way. But we have a doctrinal statement. We know what we're about. We know what we're after, and I think God has given us a measure of the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, as we unpack it in John, to a mature man. And that looks like the fullness of Christ. Christ. And then look what happens when that takes place. So that we are no longer to be, what? Children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Listen, we teach doctrine here so that we'd mature you. And as you do the work of service, the body of Christ is built up. We begin to look and think and talk like Jesus Christ until the point where we're no longer children. We're mature men and women. And obviously, we got a long way to go. We were out yesterday, my wife and I. And I don't even know if I should share this. Probably, but what do you say, Pat? You're shaking your head no and we we're looking for this house. We just wanted to see where this house was. Okay, here it goes. Um, and we're like, where is this thing? You know how, like, you get on Google Maps and you can never find it? Like, but the Google Maps is just wrong. Where? Well, I think we're close. And we finally pulled down this, this road, okay? And we had to go about 200 yards. I'm like, man, this looks kind of scary. And then as soon as we kind of get to the house, this dog comes out. and looked like it was salivating. And this man comes out and... And we begin to talk to him. He's in the house, and he lives at this house. And we ask him about this house. And um, I told him I was a pastor, and we begin to talk. And I can begin to see that he needs our prayers. His life is beginning to unravel, okay, on many sides of it. So we prayed with him and and encouraged him. But he said, "I, I like Joel Osteen, you know, a guy on TV. He goes, he really encourages my heart, Pastor. Um, what do you think about Joel Osteen, you know? And, uh, and I'm trying to remember this scripture here in Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. So I said, well, Joel Osteen doesn't always teach the scripture. He said, ah, oh, but he, he encourages my soul. And that's a, I mean, I suppose just from a statement, that's okay to be encouraged, right? But if it's encouraging him apart from the gospel, it's not a good thing, right? And I told him the this, this story that one time when Joel Osteen was on Larry King, and Larry King looked him right in the eye and said, "Joel, do do people who embrace the do people who are, are Islamic or you know who are Muslims will they go to heaven?" And on this transcript that I read, I think I've told you that before. Forty-eight th- different times in one conversation, Joel Osteen said, "I don't know." Now, now, my point would be, here's a man yesterday who's all over the gamut theologically. He's just tossed over here, then tossed over there. And his light, like, listen, our goal is to mature you. Our goal is to help us, each of us, be like the Lord Jesus Christ until we come to a place of faith. And we come to a place of the fullness of Christ where we're not being deceived by false doctrine. Look what it says there in 414, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So listen, here's the three stages of growth. It's that simple. Equip the saints, my role, your role, do the work of service. When I do my role, you do your role. The the body of Christ will be built up. And you know, isn't it an amazing thing that it's not just dependent on me? It's dependent on you and that we all have a part in this place and we want, you to, we want you to serve. Some of you just say, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Well, maybe that needs to be a class that we'll do. Some of you might just need to just come and be under the teaching of the Word of God. I get that. But as you go out today, and we're going to close this out, there's going to be 20 displays of ministries and you saw those when you came in. And so I want you to to, uh, to see that. I want you to go to those. You're going to receive a little bag as you go out, okay? The bag is going to be able to put these flyers. There's, we want to tell you about our ministry. In just a moment, we're going to pray. I'm going to let the staff go out in just a moment. And then we. what's on your heart? Where do you want to give yourself? If you're not sure, men, come tonight to Teen Challenge with us, 6.30 at the office. There's the booklet that you received, and in that booklet is a bunch of classes. Do you understand why we called it the equipping classes? It's called equipping classes because we want to build up. We know that not every marriage in here is perfect, okay? So we want to have a marriage class, not because there's problems throughout, but we want to build into our couples so that wedges don't get in families between husband and wife. We want to teach the fundamentals of the faith because we want to equip you. We did a class today on baptism, but it's all in there. Find that. Go to one of those. They, one started uh, a couple weeks ago with Bucher. He is in the book of Colossians. We're adding others on September 11th. And they're all right within there. But there's a host of things, okay? Let me just say this as you go, okay? We're, we're going to go. We're going to get out there. Um, it, here for some of you family, ages 4 and 10, 4 and 10 if you're a child, you can pick them up on the patio. They're probably already out there. For others of you who are under 4 through 10, obviously 3 and under, you need to go pick up your child at the nursery, and you can go do that immediately, Okay, all of you will be given a bag as you go out. You can put those ministry flyers in it as you go. There's there's serving staff out there as you go out. There's going to be sandwiches. I think we got 400 sandwiches out there. You can pick up a sandwich, a chip, a drink. There's dessert will be served at the ministry booths. And I would encourage you, if you can, try to visit every booth. Try to, try to visit everyone if you can, and there's a map inside the bulletin that will show you all of that, and uh, there's so much here. But listen, let me just say, we love you. I want to say that I love you. I'm thrilled what our church is, is doing, but listen, our church will always be an expression of our church and the whole body. And I'm telling you, we need you. We need you to be involved. You say, but Scott, I, I, I don't know if I'm gifted. No, listen, I'm telling you, you are gifted. <laughs> You say, but off what? Off the promise of God. It's right there. You've been given a spiritual gift. Well, you say, I don't know what I, 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 I should do. Well, then come to an equipping class. Begin to, to, to use that gift because all of us will stand before the Lord and give an account for that gift. Now, let me just say one final thing. And I really mean one final thing. Okay. If, how would I say this? This might be new to you. You say, well, what's new? Because you think I'm hired to do the job. (laughs) And you think the staff is hired to do the job. Let me just say it the right way. We're hired for one purpose, to give our time to equip you. And we're equipping you so you can do the work of service. And when we both do that, we build up the body of Christ. But you cannot sit on the sideline and be negligent of your responsibility. And you can begin to pray wherever that might be. And varieties of service. And let me just say this. We might not have your gift out there on the table. You, you say, well, Sky, you don't have my gift. Well, then I'm going to tell you. Go start a ministry then. Go start it. And let me just say this. You don't need a gift. We don't have a mercy table out there. You can put mercy. A lot of people hurting. Glenn Swanson is hurting called Walter and Helen last night. She's been loving your visits. Listen, you don't need a sign-up table to go do it. You just operate in the joy of the Lord. And where we can help you, we want to, okay?